a miraculous spaceship, our plan is to sail through the universe of time. And for a brief moment, we have been among its passengers. But where are we going? And what kind of future will we discover? Surprisingly, the answers lie in our past. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 184. And as the clip at the beginning from Dame Judy Dench suggests, and the title of this episode our topic today is the storytelling of the grand and miraculous spaceship Earth. I'm really excited for this episode because this is honestly an attraction that has never really hit home for us, I don't think. And I think our discussion will lead to that. And um, I think we're both hand up fully admitting that we have never really fully appreciated this attraction probably as much as we should have. So I think this has been a really good exercise because it's not an attraction that we just fawn over like most of the others that we've done as part of this series. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it was a lot of fun to research this ride because it's not one that we have a strong like emotional connection to or anything like that. I do think as we've gotten older that our appreciation for this ride has grown um, like a lot of other aspects of Disney. And that's kind of the fun in being able to do this and research these different rides. But it was it's an interesting practice. I don't know. If it'll help our scores too much at the end, but this has been fun. It has been fun. Um, and I almost wish that we had done this before the renovation. Because now this version that we have researched so much, we will never get to ride it. That's true. But there's YouTube and POVs and soundtracks and all kinds of other stuff. But I am really excited for the renovation to take place and see where they take this story. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a ride walkthrough. We will try to share the experience the best we can of everything from a storytelling aspect that this ride has to offer. So before you even enter the queue, Spaceship Earth is Epcot's icon. So you can see the ride as sooner as soon as you enter into the park as a central focal point. You can even see it. As you're riding up on the monorail, you can see it as you're entering in from a bus or if you're parking in a parking spot, you can see it from the highway. I guess that's <laughs> what I'm really trying to say, that it is the main thing that people think of. And so, of course, Spaceship Earth is inside. The, the ride is inside of the big. What's the correct term for it? Oh, goodness. It's it's kind of hard to say. Um, it is a geodesic sphere. Yes. I always, the, you, your first instinct is just be like, oh, the big ball or the golf ball. But obviously that is inaccurate. We want to be as accurate as humanly possible. Yep. So you enter the ride and you get onto a moving belt an Omni mover where you sit in a car that seats two people and you make your way in history from the beginning of time to the present, following the changes in communication. So communication is the big theme here of how that has evolved over time. 
the ride inclines as you're going up through the ball and through the scenes of the ride until the end where the cards turn backwards, where you start your descent back to Earth. A.K.A. the best time for a nap. (laughs) It is. But we're not going to do that. We're going to take in all of the different scenes here. The first scene includes CGI cavemen and mammoths and their form of communication through cave painting. So really cool screen effects that they use here, which is kind of strange because it's uh, so different than the rest of the scenes that you'll take in. Mm-hmm. So using a screen, of course, you see the cavemen and the mammoths. You then go into seeing Egyptians where you learn that their hieroglyphs are their way of recording history on their papyrus paper And so they're using that instead of cave paintings. And I always think this is interesting because you had a student from Egypt who brought you some papyrus paper. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely get into this more, but I have grown an appreciation for this ride since teaching about ancient civilizations, just because it is kind of fun for me um, to just like ride the ride and think like, Oh, well, haha, kids like this is, you know, out there and you do, you know, see these things in other places besides just sixth grade social studies. Um, So when I ride the ride, I like to pretend like, you know, like I'm in class and I teach about these things, but like little details like that. Yeah, I do have some papyrus paper in my classroom. So after you leave the Egyptians, you go to the Phoenicians, probably the most famous (laughs) scene. Lots of T-shirts made here. So the Phoenician merchants are depicted showing that trade is difficult without a common language. So luckily, the Phoenicians created a common alphabet. And for that, we thank them. Bravo, Phoenicians. (laughs) You did a wonderful job. You then turn the corner where the Greeks are showing how math helped invent the birth of the high tech life that we enjoy today. And I always love that part because math was always my favorite subject in school. I've always said that if I got a stray hair and I wanted to become a teacher or something, math is what I would want to do. Which um, subject in math? Calculus, probably. Yeah, which blows my mind because I never even made it up to that in school. I never took calculus. Where'd you stop? Pre-cal? Yeah. I loved calculus. If I could go back, I would probably be a math major in college. And it's it's all escaped me now. And that's what I hate more than anything. Like I get my graphing calculator and I don't know how to do any of the functions or anything (laughs) anymore. And I sure as heck don't know how to do it freehand. I'm sure it would all come back. So all that is just to say the Greeks laid the groundwork for that. And I do think there's an interesting connection there to show the connection between math and communication. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that Um, especially like for kids that ride this ride. I do like that it's tying in all of these different things because I'm sure most kids who ride this ride don't make those connections or even think about these things ever. So it's kind of cool that you can do that at Disney. Next scene, panic. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Rome is burning And it's a very sad scene, but it brings us one of the greatest Disney smells known to man. Mm -hmm. The burning of the Library of Alexandria not only is a wonderful scent that is captured in many different Disney candle companies, but is also significant of 
that it is where most of recorded history burned to the ground through that. And you kind of get it, but it's through like uh, it's war that leads to that. An acquisition and and that's what led to the Library of Alexandria. Am I wrong? No, no, you're right. It's just kind of cute to watch you like struggle through explaining it. <laughs> and why? Because you teach about this? Yeah. I guess the only solution here is that I have to come sit through one of your lessons on the Library of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Through the um, the separation of of Rome, the empire. That's where it falls? Mm-hmm. That's where everything falls apart. I'd be like Billy Madison in your class. (laughs) Do you want that? Uh, Yeah. Can I raise hands? Yeah. Raise my hand and ask questions? You'd probably be the only one, so go for it. (laughs) So next scene shows that luckily Jewish and Islamic scholars preserved much of the information and helped lead to further advancements in communication and science by keeping their own records of information and knowledge throughout history. Next, you transition to the monastery where manuscripts of the Bible are being copied by hand. And then next, Gutenberg is seen working on the first moving printing press. And I never realized this until I was researching. Gutenberg did that so early in history. Mm -hmm. Like you think of the machine printing press as like part of the revolution, the industrial revolution. I didn't realize that the first moving printing press happened so long ago. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Gutenberg was a dude. (laughs) It is kind of crazy, like, to think about how these people even, I mean, obviously he came up with this because it's very tedious to write things down. But, like, how do people, how does anyone invent something so just, like, revolutionary? And you might be able to pinpoint the years more, but as it's depicted in the story, Gutenberg did that before the European Renaissance. Like, before Michelangelo painted on the Sistine Chapel. Is that accurate? Do you know? I I don't know. I don't go that far. We we stop at the fall of Rome, so that's about all all I can get you to. Okay, well, as Spaceship Earth suggests, European Renaissance is next including Michelangelo painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And that is a pretty cool scene. I think that's one of my favorites. It is. Next, there is a very large time leap. Obviously, they have to, coming from cavemen up until, what would you say? Present-ish day. Yeah, present-ish day. So then you jump to post-Civil War, where the industrial-sized printing press has taken place, and news and information is circulating rapidly through mainly newspapers. Um, You then pass through the communications revolution, showing telegraphs, radio, telephones, movies, TV, including the 1969 moon landing featuring Walter Cronkite, a former narrator of this ride. Um, And then you see that language is no longer just spoken by humans, but also computers And you see the first home computer being built in a garage. Now, I always thought that that was someone from history. All of my research just said it's a man building a computer in his garage. Did you find anything else that says this is like a specific person? Yeah. No, I guess I had always assumed that it was two, though. I guess maybe they surely someone can pinpoint like the first person. Who built a computer in their garage. But I guess maybe 
Well, yeah. Since there were so many people who were like, they were just trying to like encompass that. It was like a, a phenomenon. Like everyone wanted a home computer. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Hand up again. I'm really dumb. So I just always assume like that is Steve Jobs or that is Bill (laughs) Gates. And I don't know. My timeline may be completely off. I don't, I don't know anything about that part of history. Yeah. So someone is probably banging their head against the desk because we're so far off, but let us know. Yeah. Who is that? Is that a particular person or is it just depicting that personal computers became a thing? Yeah. You then rotate backwards and start your descent where on-screen questions create a depiction of your life in the future. I don't want to knock it too much because I think we will later in the episode have a deeper discussion about this segment. But the cropping of the pictures is comically bad, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I think it's part of the ride experience is... Like you anticipate wanting to see your picture at the end so you can almost see how bad it is. (laughs) So that's the highlights of the ride through. I mean, there's many kind of scenes within scenes, lots of hidden Mickey's, lots of reused animatronics that we could highlight. But just for a storytelling aspect, that's the gist of it. So, Catherine, can you walk us through some of the highlights of the history of this ride? Yeah, so. This ride debuted in Epcot on opening day, which was October 1st in 1982. And it's in the area of Epcot that is known as Feature World. So this ride itself took over two years to construct. And Disney Imagineering, you know, they typically have a pretty good handle on, you know, building. Of course, they probably have to get some outside opinions whenever they're making anything. But for this particular project, they hired MIT to conduct engineering studies to know how this very unique structure should be constructed, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, This ride, it sits on a hexagonal support and it's supported by six legs. And like Brendan said earlier, its proper name is a geodesic sphere, sorry, not a globe. And it is 18 stories tall. So my nerd self wanted to learn more about hexagonal support because to me, whenever we teach math or just different little things like that. We typically focus on triangles. You know, I even teach about pyramids and we talk about why they kind of have that pyramid shape and why a triangle is foundationally like superior. Well, apparently hexagons are more superior. So they are more efficient as far as filling up space without wasting material. And it is the strongest shape. Um, So for large structures like Spaceship Earth, the lattice of the hexagon is stronger because it meets in pairs of three that are connected by three sides. So kind of like a triangle, it's more structurally sound, but kind of up at a level, which makes sense because like anything else, if you're in central Florida, I mean, it has to be weatherproof and you know everything else. They put a ride inside. So there's a lot of factors there. So if Epcot came to be someday, like it was originally meant to be, and people were living there, would you live in a geodesic sphere? I mean, it seems pretty structurally sound. It would be cool, I guess. I'm not typically like the futuristic kind of look, you know, that's not really my kind of aesthetic, but it would be pretty cool. 
Okay. I mean, what I'll about keep that you? in mind. Yeah. I want to live in a mini spaceship Earth. <laughs> Duly noted. So the actual material is made of, you're going to have to say this one. A Luca bond. A Luca bond, which is a carbon aluminum compound. So it's easy to be cleaned. And again, it can withstand the very harsh weather. Um, and this is actually the same material that's used on the Sydney Opera House, which is very interesting to me. I wonder if they had to like share notes. Quite possibly. Yeah. Who knew? Who knows? Um, but Spaceship Earth has gone through four iconic narrators throughout the years, which is a key part of the ride. I mean, the narration, that's what you listen to. Like, of course, some of the animatronics and different things make noise or they have little conversations. To me, they're always pretty hard to hear. So the narr the narrator is key. So, Brendan, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you think makes for a good narrator? Like what kind of key elements or like vocal, I don't know, tones would you look for in a narrator? Not like us. Well, that's not very specific. <laughs> um, I would say soothing, calm, enunciates really well. Mm, yeah. Knows how to pause correctly for dramatic effect. Mm -hmm. I think they've all been excellent throughout the years. Yeah. They've I all agree. been wonderful choices. Like, I don't want to hear Gilbert Godfrey <laughs> <laughs> doing the narration, you know? Yeah, there are some people who just... Yeah, it'd be a little cringy if you could pick the next narrator because they do change over time. Who do you think would make for a good narrator in the future? I have not thought about this at all. I know a very popular choice that people say is Morgan Freeman just because he has such an iconic voice. But I don't. I almost don't think he would fit. He does have an iconic voice. And I do think. He adds like dramatic effect and everything, but I almost don't think that's the kind of voice that Spaceship Earth needs. I mean, I, I hate to be this simplistic, but Judy Dench, I think, has the perfect voice for it. Mm -hmm. She's calming. It's almost robotic mm -hmm. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. That you you almost think like, is this a real person speaking? Because it's so flawless. It is. Yeah, that's very true. So something to think about if you have any good suggestions for the next narrator, if you were to pick. So if we think about the history of these different narrators, the first narrator was Vic Perrin, who narrated Spaceship Earth from its debut in 1982 until 1986. So a pretty short period of time. Although this is something that I found very interesting. There's been a debate that the first actual narrator was Lawrence Dobkin. And I was thinking to myself, how can there possibly be a debate? But then, Brendan, what did you find? Well, if so, disclaimer, if we got any of the facts wrong throughout this point, it's because I did all my research on this exact point <laughs> of who was the original narrator and I can pretty confidently say that it was Vic Perrin. I listened to audio clips of Vic Perrin talking and then the narration of the ride when it first started. And it sounds identical. And from best I can tell in my research, the 
confusion comes into Marty Sklar, of course, a wonderful, amazing Imagineer, said in an interview, and it wasn't too many years ago, I want to say it was like 2008 or so, he said that it was Lawrence Dobkin. That's the only source from what I could tell of anybody saying that it's Lawrence Dobkin. And I think Marty Sklar just had a brain fart. <laughs> like he just got confused. He's worked on so many different attractions. Yeah. And done so many amazing things. He did so many amazing things in his career. I think that's the source of the confusion. And he just made a mistake. Who knows? Some I, there's also other sites and sources out there that say it was 100% Lord Stopkin. I don't think so. I think it was Vic Perrin. You can go do your own research and come to your own conclusion. But I'm team Vic. <laughs> Duly noted. So then along came Walter Cronkite from 1986 to 1994. And then the third narrator, and this is my personal favorite, was Jeremy Irons. And that is because he was also the voice of Scar, who is my favorite villain. But I almost like that it's. I don't know if I want it to be a character's voice, and I know his voice for Scar and his voice in the narration was completely different. Mm -hmm. Is is Jeremy Irons the voice that you remember from your childhood or do you remember Judy Dench more? You know, it's so hard to say. I almost have to say I only remembered Judy Dench just because this wasn't a ride that I rode a whole lot. And I would have to I'd probably have to go back and watch like an old ride through video with him speaking to like see if it would ring a bell. So I don't know if I remember it, but I think it's cool. Yeah. And then, of course, in 2007, Jeremy Irons was replaced with. G. Dench. So Jeremy Irons has the record right now for longest tenure. If they come back from renovation and Judy Dench is still the narration, she will pass that pretty soon. Mm -hmm. So that would be interesting. Yeah, that was something that I wondered is if like with the new renovation, if we know if they plan on getting a new narrator. I don't think we know yet. Yeah. So that was just something that I was thinking of, because typically when they do a big renovation, you know, there there are a lot of different things that change. And that's part of what else we're going to talk about here in a second. But it is it's like they just do like a big overhaul almost. I know who it's going to be. Who? Josh Gad. <laughs> <laughs> what does Josh Gad not do for Disney right now? Uh, I mean, you're not wrong. That would be quite the interesting ride through. Look, opinions of Josh Gad aside, can we all just agree he would have the worst Bishop Earth voice of all time? Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to listen to Olaf explain history. That would that would be pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho. But I bet he I bet he auditions for it. Yeah, his name is probably in the in the running for sure. For sure. So, of course, some other changes have occurred over the history of Spaceship Earth, including who sponsors the ride. So originally it was sponsored by Bell System, which became AT&T. And then it's currently Siemens. 
Siemens, yeah. Okay, I just had to make sure I'm saying that right. With a sponsorship absence between AT&C and Siemens. So there was one point in time where the ride was not sponsored. Um, one of the biggest changes came in 2007 with the narration of Judy Dench, and that's when they added the touchscreens that, you know, we kind of briefly mentioned earlier. So that's when at the end of the ride, as you're kind of working your way backwards, you actually get to pick they ask you different questions on like what kind of lifestyle you want to have. And then at the very end, it like gives you this cheesy video about what your life is going to look like. So I do think it's an interesting addition because it is kind of futuristic. I mean, now touchscreen is nothing like crazy, but I feel like in 2007, it was high tech. Have those been renovated at all? Or are those 13 year old touchscreens? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know either, but I feel like that far surpasses the life of a touchscreen. It should. Yeah, because after a while, they become um, like not as calibrated, I guess, is the word. OK, is. Do you think even if they weren't planning to get rid of touchscreens, now they will be forced to because of coronavirus? Oh, I don't know. That was something that I kind of had. Let's table that for a second, because I kind of had that same thought about some of the other changes. So a lot of the other changes that have taken place in this ride kind of go with the post ride area. And this is something that I feel like is pretty common in a lot of Epcot. Would you say attractions or just areas? They all have these post ride areas where you kind of have the opportunity to take things a step farther and kind of do some exploration on your own. This area is now known as Project Tomorrow, but it has undergone several changes. Today, it mainly features a large globe where the pictures that the ride itself takes of you at the beginning of the ride, they appear and then zoom on this big globe so you can see where you're from, which is pretty interesting. Um, you can kind of see it like as you walk off the ride. Um, it also features smaller games such as Dr. Bones and a little driving game. And a lot of them utilize 3D glasses. And this is where I was also interested to see how some of these different interactive areas might change once the parks open back up. Like, do you think it's possible to keep something like this? No. I wish it was, but I don't. I don't think it will. Yeah. I think anything that you touch or 3D glasses are on the way out unless they go to strictly disposable. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can do multi-use. Yeah. I mean, I know obviously they like disinfect different things like that, like the 3D glasses. But I feel like the concern would also be, you know, what if someone sneezed on them or what if a kid just comes through and touches you know five of them on accident or you accidentally grab two pairs but then your family member already grabbed themselves a pair or you know just like different little things like that and I'm interested because there are a lot of 3D glasses you know shows and different things too in the parks well and this is a completely different discussion but I do think Epcot has the most at risk for what the new normal looks like. 
because especially future world, which who knows how much future world is even staying mm-hmm. with a complete overhaul of Epcot. But so much of it is based on that interaction and touching things. And it's a very tangible part of the park, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It, there's not much looking. There's lots of doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they'll sort that out. It'll be interesting for sure. Originally, this kind of post-ride area was known as Earth Station until it was transformed transformed in 2007. Um, at Earth Station, guests could see innovative communications of tomorrow through World Key Information Service by the Bell System. Information and imagery about Epcot and the rest of the Walt Disney World was at the fingertips of guests to explore, which would be pretty cool. It kind of makes me think of... Um, Oh, goodness. It's that. What's it like that 360 video circle vision? Yeah. <laughs> you need to watch the Imagineering story. Yeah. again. Yes. It kind of makes me think of that because, you know, it's it's trying to just preview what's coming next. And of course, the goal is always just to get people excited so they come back. And I think. Oh, are you saying the Epcot experience? Yes. Thank oh. you. I knew I wasn't crazy. The Epcot experience. OK. Yeah, I can see that. That's kind of what it makes me think of. Again, I don't know. Uh, I don't remember experiencing Earth Station myself. I probably did, but I don't remember it. So, anywho. Sometime later, AT&T changed Earth Station into Global Neighborhood, and it offered more of a planetarium view of Earth and its neighbors. And then in the late 90s, AT&T updated Global Neighborhood into New Global Neighborhood. Novel. Yeah, <laughs> they were not they were not Imagineers who <laughs> came up with that name. Um, but here there were more of that kind of hands on guest activities, you know, tour of Epcot through a minicam. And the Cheshire Cat actually starred in a virtual theater um, in which he would respond to different things that guests would say to him. I, I don't know why I knew nothing about this. I didn't. I honestly feel like in a lot of those little areas, it's something that my family probably just skipped growing up. Which is I a know, shame. and I know we do too now. I mean, after Test Track, after Spaceship Earth, after Figment, Figment, you know, they have all of these little areas that it's so easy to just blow by because you're in a rush to get to the next Fast Pass or you want a snack or this, that, whatever else, and. I'd say a lot of people probably miss out on these kind of things. Yeah. I mean, the only thing is Figment. Now, Wreck-It Ralph is in there, which uh-huh. is random. So random. But yeah, it's like you see a line there and then nobody else doing any of the Figment games, which is sad. Poor Figment. But it made me think of Turtle Talk with Crush. I wonder if that's kind of where they got the inspiration for that. Maybe. Maybe. Dude. <laughs> Well, good deal. Let's take a quick break, digest some of that information, hear a message from our partners, and then we'll be back for the rest of the episode. This episode is brought to you by Karma and Kismet. Kelly has nailed it in one of her recent designs called Magic Maker, and just a sweatshirt that's perfect for all of us creators within the community. Whether you're a cast member, a creator, or just someone who spreads that Disney magic, you are a magic maker, and you can grab your own sweatshirt to show it off. 
You can head to Etsy and search for Karma, the letter N, Kismet, and grab yours before they sell out. They just released this week. Hit the link in our bio or search for it on Etsy and use the code DETOUR10 for 10% off of your order today. Be a magic maker. So from a storytelling aspect, Catherine, what stands out to you here? Well, for me, I think it's very interesting that this ride focuses on communication and just how important communication is to just like our everyday lives and how things have evolved. Because, you know, whenever if I'm just thinking from like a school standpoint, whenever you think about how things evolve, it's so easy just to look at technology and how people came up with these like crazy ideas. And, you know, that's, I think a lot of times what people focus on, but communication is really the core of everything. You have to be able to articulate your ideas and what you're thinking and what your feelings are. And, you know, and that is ultimately what has led us to all the things that we have today. I think it's something that you know, kids or just adults in general take for granted um, just how important having those kind of communication skills are. And I think it's really cool that that's that that's what this ride hones in on is just something very simple, but something so important. I also think it does a really excellent job of crunching history down to show you that the gap in time between the civil war and now is nothing like it's a blip on the screen Mm -hmm. compared to the thousands of years that took place before then to even get to that point. So to me, kind of the big takeaways are it's to never stop growing and evolving. So I think that we get that from both the history of this attraction, but also the storytelling aspect where this ride has changed so much over the years and it's about to happen again through the refurbishment. But that same idea can be applied to communication. So the resiliency and determination of mankind to create a better world for future generations is depicted so well in the story. And it's kind of what you said too, that that communication is kind of the key to everything that we've been able to unlock as mankind. And it's a great reminder of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, we even talk about a lot of times on the show is that when you learn something or that when you have new information, you know, all of these people before us, they didn't bottle that up and keep it to themselves. You know, they wrote it down, they shared it, they recognized that it was a powerful tool. And I think that that's something that, you know, we can still take and apply today. Yeah. Next is listener stories. This has honestly become my favorite segment. (laughs) These are awesome. We get most of these from our Facebook community. Shameless plug. Join our Facebook community. The link is in our bio below. Or you can search Detour to Neverland podcast community on Facebook. So let's go through these. Jackie, our friend from Monorail Radio, had one of my favorite ones. If they don't recast Dame Judi Dench for the refurb, I will riot. That's a cause we can all get behind. (laughs) picket signs and everything that yeah that's a very strong feeling 
Jonathan from Magnetic Flux Co. said, always the first and last ride that we go on when Epcot, when in Epcot. It's a classic, but I'm looking forward to what they change, update, and update. And that goes hand in hand with what Joshua, also from Magnetic Flux Co. said. He said, excited for change, but I hope they keep the nostalgic 1970s and 80s retro futurism intact in some way. I like the idea of storytelling as the concept since Disney's legacy is indeed in the art of storytelling. Every theme park attraction show and even topiary began with and is surrounded by narrative. Excited for new Epcot, but I have, but I hate having to wait so long. Um, so Josh basically just summarized our entire show. Pretty much. I don't know if we have anything else to add. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's in our brains. The next one is from Don Broussard. And she said, this is always one that we go on multiple times each trip. It started with the old version narrated by Jeremy Irons. On my son's first trip back in 2003, he had to ride this so many times that I don't even remember the exact count. It holds wonderful memories. I don't mind changes, but of course, hoping they keep some of the most iconic scenes like Burning Room. Is it the scene or the smell? It's got to be both. I mean, I think the scene itself is pretty cool, too. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's not like super advanced, but it's cool. The next one is from Sarah from Love, Sarah Kate. She said, my favorite memory of this ride was on my husband's first trip to Disney ever in 2018. We did Epcot first and we were slightly behind in rope dropping because I was upgrading to an annual past at guest relations. That's a pretty good excuse. Um. She said, to our luck, Spaceship Earth was delayed in opening for some reason, but opened up right when we were walking by. It was my husband's very first ride at Disney, and we were the first ones of the day to ride it. He still talks about it to this day. It's a great memory for me because it's a great memory for him. That is a sweet story. That is sweet. I, I want to learn more about people's first rides. In Disney, I know in Disneyland, ours was Big Thunder Mountain. Mm -hmm. I always think that's interesting of how far can you make it into the park before you do a ride? Sarah and her husband, not very far. <laughs> not very far. <laughs> but that's really cool. I've always wanted to be like the first person on a ride when they open. Since we're not rope dropper people, um, we'll, I don't know if we'll ever have that experience, but I think that'd be super cool. Do you have any personal stories from this ride? If I'm being honest, uh, not really that I can recall, mostly just because Spaceship Earth, like we said at the beginning, it's not at the top of my list for must-do rides. I'd say, I mean, maybe we ride it every other trip, every like three trips. I don't know, just whenever we kind of can. I mean, I can even think of times where we've had a fast pass and we're just like, meh. You know, not this time, but depending on the weather, I do think it's a nice break from the rain or the heat. Um, it is a good <laughs> we always say it's like nap inducing, but it is a nice break. It's a pretty long ride. I don't know exactly how long this one is, but it is decently long. I believe it's over 20 minutes. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. Um, but more recently, I do think. Like I said earlier, since I've been teaching about like these ancient civilizations in the history, I do find it a little more entertaining to ride this ride. Um, 
just because I kind of imagine myself like telling all, you know, my kids all these different things. I know this is probably going to sound kind of crazy, but I feel like taking a field trip to Epcot is something on my bucket list. Would you be able to get your strawberry margarita on a field trip? Definitely not. No, no. You'd have to to go back later for that one. But it I know it sounds like somewhat of a nightmare. And if anyone has ever been a teacher who's gotten to go to Epcot, I'd love to hear about your experience because I just think it'd be really fun. Um, but anywho, maybe teaching in Florida will help that happen. But to me, those that's kind of what I think now when I think about this attraction. I wish I had a fun story about Spaceship Earth. I really do. And I I feel like my family was the same way. We never really went out of our way to ride it growing up. We never got a fast pass for it. That was a big no-no in my family. (laughs) Like you take turtle talk before you take Spaceship Earth. I could totally see that. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was. And, you know, you know how that cue reacts as well, that it's long in the mornings, short at night. And I feel like it's hard. After a grueling day of walking around World Showcase, it's hard to convince a family to ride World Showcase. At least my family. To ride Spaceship Earth, you mean? What did I say? He said to ride World Showcase. (laughs) (laughs) That too. It depends on how many drinks you've had in World Showcase. But yeah, so I wish I had fun stories of it, but I do agree that lately we have appreciated it much more Mm -hmm. than we used to. Again, I think it's partly because you teach about these subjects. So I have to hear about Egypt and Rome all the time at home Mm -hmm. for what you're teaching. You should sing one of your rap songs for the podcast. Oh, my gosh. No. So I so just to clarify, I don't like make up rap songs or sing. It is probably my favorite project in the whole year. I do have the kids make rap songs and sing them for me because who doesn't want to listen to that. I mean, it's literally the best day of the whole year for me. But what about the Euphrates river? I was getting to that. I, (laughs) I found on YouTube, it's called Mr. Nicky. He, he makes ancient civilization raps and songs. And my favorite is the one about Mesopotamia because it's soldier boy crank that so we we play it we all get up i teach him the dance um like old school tiktoks they probably think i'm a loser but we have fun and that's also a highlight there's one for every ancient civilization so if you you want more more um background information did you say old school tiktok that's what it would be like you're People on TikTok dance. So if we had TikTok when we were in middle school, that's the dance that we would have been doing on TikTok. Oh, to the Euphrates River. Yeah. Okay. I got you. I thought you were saying TikTok was old school. I was like, how long have you had it? (laughs) No. I just learned about it like two weeks ago. (laughs) Um, Neverland score. Neverland score. Uh, This one has me torn. I found it really difficult to give this a score because it is so iconic and it is such a classic and it does serve such a wonderful role within future world and within Epcot and within what Epcot is meant to be. Mm-hmm. 
I, I'll just, I give it a five. And that sounds bad, but I'm not viewing it bad. I just view it as like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You don't go, at least I don't go out of my way to ride it. But Some I'm never, people do. <laughs> I'm never going to refuse riding it. And every time I ride it, it's an enjoyable experience. So maybe five is too low. I know people love it. I don't think I'll ever understand how people can say it's their favorite ride in all of Walt Disney World. Like, I wish I could understand it. That to me is a stretch. <laughs> but I know there are people out there who yeah. say that. And yeah. I don't know. May Like, I would consider People Mover like in my top 10 rides. And people probably say that's more boring than Spaceship Earth. So it's definitely more boring. Okay, get out of here. Anywho, I gave this one a six, kind of for the same reason. I'm actually really surprised that my score is higher than yours. You are super generous with your scores. Our scales are different. (laughs) We need a. We need more. um, I need like a rubric that would really help me. I do. Can we work on that? No, no, no. A rubric is where you give things like an allotted amount of points. Okay. So that would be super helpful. You have criteria here. That's my homework, I guess. Yeah. Because that would give us, I think, a more accurate score. But I gave it a six. I do think part of it is because some of the things are outdated. I am really excited to see how they change that with the updates and everything that they're going to do to it. Um, I don't think it's immersive. That's kind of part of our criteria is like, you don't ride it and think, wow, I'm in, you know, galaxy's edge. Like, you know, like you think I'm looking at animatronics, you know, do you think it's because the ride vehicles are so loud and you can like hear them (laughs) creaking? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, but it's it's not like a, like I don't feel like, wow, I'm in Rome right now. Like <laughs> there are flames around me. Maybe they need like um, like the heat lamps. <laughs> That'd be like, fun. Like they have in Test Track. Yeah. That'd be fun. No, it that's my um, suggestion. But. I give it a six. That is what it is. I think you get some good laughs there at the end watching a little video. That's always fun. Yeah. Again, I don't think it's bad. No. I do enjoy it. Yeah. And and we're not, I'm definitely not trying to knock it, but that's just. We were told we were ruthless to uh, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. <laughs> that's another one, though. I guess it's just because we don't have like that emotional attachment, you know? Yeah. I, I think, think that plays fair. a big factor in these scores. As As much as we try to be maybe unbiased. We're totally, we're totally biased. We can't not be. You mean like how I rated Peter Pan's flight really high? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're biased. But we own it. That's okay. Next week. Next week. So it is actually my turn to pick next because this was Brendan's choice. Um, But we've said it before. My sister is staying with us right now. And she had the idea that she wants to do Jungle Cruise. She loves all things with puns. So we're going to give it to her. She'll probably have to join us for next week's episode. Um, So hang on to your hats. Also, sorry that we sound identical. (laughs) 
Yeah, that was a lot of feedback last week. A lot of you said that you could not tell when Catherine was talking, when Elizabeth was talking. So you guys will have to say, Catherine speaking. <laughs> Catherine here. Or we'll have to like get on a rotation like Catherine, Brendan, Elizabeth or something. But Jungle Cruise, I think it'll be another exciting one. That's kind of like an in-between for me. I like the Jungle Cruise, but the line can get long, so it's not like a must ride. I don't know. It'll be fun. Yeah. I'm excited for it. So thank you guys so much for listening. It's been so much fun to do this storytelling series with you guys. Been a lot of good feedback. So we love it that you guys are enjoying these. If you have any feedback or anything, please send it our way. We are all ears. And if you're ever looking for a way to help the show, leaving us an iTunes review is absolutely the best way to help us out. It tells Apple that more people should be listening and they will suggest us to more Disney friends out there. So thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Monday with our friend Josh from Triple P Vlogs. So look forward to sharing that interview with you guys. We will chat soon. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.